Welcome back to the Healing Growth Podcast. My name is Saiton Riga. This is a podcast where we talk about healing trauma in an African faith context. Today's episode is about mother wounds and friendships. Hi everyone, this one is a hard one. I'll admit I wasn't ready to do this this soon, but here we are. I think part of being in the place where I'm willing to pray and receive guidance on the direction for the podcast means that things like this will happen. Let's get right into it. Your mother is your first female relationship. Your relationship with her sets the stage for so much more in your life. It is the template for how you see yourself, what you believe about how you should be treated, what you require and demand from relationships with women, and how you carry yourself in those relationships. Before that, let me define the mother wound and what it is and how it shows up. Psychology today defines a mother wound as a loss or lack of mothering, a deficit between mother and child that is passed down through generations and a reflection of how we experience mothering and how we mother. You can experience the mother wound if your mother only provided physical care aspects and did not provide love, care and safety. If she was extra critical, meaning that you could never do anything right. If she wasn't available to you or to the child, time-wise and emotional availability falls here too. And while there are practical reasons for this, the effect still remains the same. If she required perfection from you to be loved, if she expected you to fulfill the mothering role to her, or to your siblings when you were still a child. If she suffered emotional and physical abuse and hadn't processed the trauma and thus was unable to love and nurture. If she had an untreated mental health condition, if she was an alcoholic or drug addict, if she abandoned you, if she passed away and there was no adequate mothering figure to care for you, If she physically abused you or was neglectful about caring for you. These are all things and stories that you've heard from other people and maybe this is your own story. So how does a mother wound show up in your life as an adult? I got this from Brown Girl Trauma and I resonated with the list as well as seeing it in some of the people that I have worked with. The number one on her list is dismissing your pain because it's not that bad. You listen to Saiton and you're like, whoa, this chick went through so much more. Mine wasn't that bad. But it is bad, isn't it? There is no scale for how bad. The truth is, are you willing to heal it? Are you willing to show up for yourself and actually deal? That unwillingness might actually show a mother wound. Are you always seeking your mother's approval to live your life? An ability to manage your emotions, self-soothe in healthy ways? For many people, the go-tos are food, numbing with social media, gossip, alcohol, and other things. If you have a high tolerance for bad treatment from people around you, if you have codependency in your relationships, 
if you're always feeling threatened or competitive toward, towards other women, if you don't want to be your full self because you don't want to threaten others, also low self-worth and negative to self-talk, rescuing, fixing people and people-pleasing behaviors, never feeling good enough, extreme criticism of your body and others' appearance, difficulty in setting and keeping boundaries. So this is how it shows up as an adult. And I know for, the, for many of us, this is a hard pill to swallow, but take your time, do your research and journal. So I'll talk about assessing your mother wound and how it makes you show up in relationships. The first time I made a connection on the mother wound replicating itself in friendships was a post from Dilesia Hampton Barner, who runs the International Mother-Daughter Trauma Recovery Institute. She broke down toxic behaviors, toxic friend behaviors, and it was like a light bulb went off. Up until then, I didn't realize the, the dysfunction that I had brought into my friendships. I would say that for a long time, my default was to mother my friends in the hope that they would mother me. I didn't have a mother for so long, and so I looked for this need to be met in my friendships, which, to be honest, was too overwhelming for my friends. I remember having a fallout in high school, and now looking back, I think this is what it was rooted in. Another thing I did for a long time was fix, rescue, and overextend myself for my friends, then expect the same from them, and then be utterly disappointed when they didn't reciprocate because... Truth is, some people have boundaries. I was a friend people called when in trouble. In fact, some friendships were based on the crisis call and me helping out. And then when things were good, I was ghosted. The thing that therapy helps with is it helps you figure out what you are getting out of the dynamic because it's not always just about somebody else using you. There's also something within you that allows it that is missing that allows this to happen for me feeling needed wanted and relevant was a deep-seated need for me ideally this is a need that should be met in childhood so that you can learn how to give it to yourself as an adult mirroring what your mother did for you is how you learn i had to learn to give this to myself through reparenting prayer writing and rewiring my habits Another coping mechanism was to share my story with people immediately in the hope that this would be the one to truly hear me and soothe my mother wound. I never did any of this unconsciously. It was all subconscious and it took being in therapy, coaching and the healing journey to examine what was going on. The thing about talking about your mother wound all the time, what happened, how deep it is, how it affects you, is that all of this is a cry for help. It's wanting people to recognize how deeply you've been hurt and devastated. And yes, even though people will hear you and empathize and validate you, the person who needs to recognize that pain most is you. You're the one who needs to sit down and take stock of how deeply this affected you, this wounded you, and how it shaped the person that you are, and begin the work of healing. No one else can do that for you. The people around you can help a little, but it's you who needs to do the work. And when you do heal, even how you talk about it changes. 
Sometimes it's not even necessary to lead with that story because now you are able to see yourself in a greater light than just the wound. The reality of friendships and healing. The friendships we choose in a state of not healing. I got this from Bethany Webster, who's one of the primary resources in mother wound literature. So your friendships, when you've not healed, may not be as reciprocal as you desire or deserve. You may get friends who are similar to your mother and replicate the dynamics that you have with your mother. You may not be able to find friends who you can trust and build friendships with. You may be constantly frustrated about not being able to communicate your needs in friendships. Another one is not being able to be honest and real with your friends about who you are. Untangling this is hard and it is a mess. And honestly, some friendships don't make it. Regardless of how much you try, simply because some people expect the version of you before the healing, they keep fighting with the new version of you. There's no room to adjust the parameters of the friendship because to them, the new you is an abandonment. However, for you to keep the old parameters is self-abandonment. And you get to the crossroads where for the first time you realize what is happening and you choose yourself. And that is hard. You can love someone and care for them, but you have to stop with the status quo. And that's not easy. Additionally, if someone doesn't recognize their own wounds, it's not your place to tell them. They must get there on their own. But this can be a dilemma of sorts because they may never get there or you may need to have boundaries and limits in how you engage. And this may not go down well. But part of the journey is being okay with being the bad person because every person has a version of their story and inherently, we're, we're not focusing on that, but on you and your journey and where you've got to. Another thing is about realizing unspoken agreements and narratives that are weaved into friendships. Some friends are only okay with you being in a perceived lower position. It could be that they think that they're better than you because of the trauma that you went through. Instead of appreciating that you're a person who went through seemingly insurmountable odds and still have a capacity for joy and life. In other friendships, people triangulate, which is talking behind your back and planning things to exclude you and then confronting you. But when you heal, you're empowered to ask questions and ask people to be accountable and often it isn't welcome. Others need you to be who you were, so they aren't forced to take a look at where they need to work on themselves. Healing also means that sometimes you stop being a team player and you stop abandoning yourself for them. For me, my friendships for a very long time were ride or die. My reasoning was that my friends were there for me in bigger, better and more constant ways than family and they knew me more and they deserved that for me. This seems reasonable on the surface until you realize that it's a trauma response or decision. First, ride or die is not and should not be a defining factor of friendships. Set it off was a bad example, folks. It's fun to watch, but not fun to live out in real life. It was so bad for me that I remember once both my coach and therapist asking me why I wanted to be in a particular friendship that wasn't working, hadn't been working, and the biggest reason I had is that it was meant to last until old age and, yes, that I love the person. 
if you're brought up into the mentality of longevity ab- above everything else, there's shame of not keeping things as they as they are. I had to unpack what it looks like when words and actions don't match and haven't matched for a long while. Why did I believe passively and not question when requirements and investments that were I was held to didn't always match? Why did I always believe what was said even though there were no actions to back it up? In the healing work, it went back to being a child. Children don't have a choice but to believe their parents. In fact, it often doesn't even occur to them that what their parents says can't happen unless they're disappointed time and time again and they learn to disbelieve or be aware that things won't always happen as said. They generally just believe. I never would fully assess the situation and in many ways I was afraid of exploring what was going on and I would bury so much of it in myself. I would sometimes be aware when I didn't feel safe to be myself, but unfortunately because this had been a common occurrence all through my life, I didn't question it. More people pleasing, and we know that with healing people pleasing has to end. Assessing the behaviors that make you leave. Every human being has inherent dignity and value. But the sneaky thing about valuing our worth from accomplishments possessions and who we know is that we get our worth from being quote unquote better than someone else even if we don't say it it seeps into how we treat them i feel like we dishonor god because he's reflected in each one of us we dishonor the person we dishonor the relationship the fruits of re- the relationship and what it could have been what is done in secret does come out And even though the person may never f- know the full extent, sometimes the path for them to leave is worked out. There is hope though, if you recognize yourself in this because we all do fail sometimes. The first is recalibrating your sense of worth, so it is not gained from subconsciously viewing others as being lesser beings. Working on developing genuine gratitude for the people in your life, having hard conversations, seeking forgiveness, and building better relationships it may be possible to recover and i wish you the best i also want to say that the dynamics we have in friendships are not the exact same for each friendship someone can be cruel to one and esteem another it doesn't always mean that someone is a bad person it could be that the dynamics their own trauma and the social interplay trigger things with you that aren't triggered with other people This is why you often can't look for co-signing from others in the crew. They may not see it because they didn't experience it themselves and dismiss you. Sometimes someone will only come to you later saying I get it now because they now experienced it. If there's toxicity or triangulation, this will not be the place where you'll get validation. It's it's likely that instead gaslighting will happen. Again, the focus is on what happened to you, the interactions, experiences, and processing those with a therapist or a coach. Some friendships have the queen bee or cheerleader archetype, where you can't say anything that disagrees with the person who is seen as a de facto leader and everything that surrounds her. These types of dynamics rarely survive friends finding their voice. 
The Gottman Institute, which focuses on marriages, is one of the resources I use here. I find that their lessons are applicable to all relationships. They have something they call the four horsemen. These are behaviors that are guaranteed to lead to a relationship's end. They are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. I'll touch on contempt, which is the most dangerous one. There may be contempt that is shown to only you and in ways that others can't see. Communication that has contempt is mean. It comes from a place of moral superiority. And the person may not even notice, but body language. And sometimes, if you're patient enough, they may let it slip what they truly think of you. Contempt is fueled by long, simmering, negative thoughts about a person. When a person thinks negatively of you for a long time, discusses this with other people, it unfortunately slips out with time. I'm not even going to go into the spiritual side of this today, but when you can tell this is going on in a friendship or even relationship, the unfortunate truth is that it is rarely salvageable unless the person with the negative thoughts is willing to have honest, hard conversations and do the work to turn things around. There is a solution um, from the Gottman Institute, which is about appreciation, but this takes eating a lot of humble pie to admit someone is valuable to you and then to do the work to keep them. The actual healing around relationships. Here are two quotes to bookmark this segment. Healing requires work, but so does resisting healing. And in the end, resisting healing will always be a bigger burden. Let me say that again. Healing requires work, but so does resisting healing. And in the end, resisting healing will always be a bigger burden. That's by Dilesia Hampton Barner. The second quote, No female friendship can ever fill the mother gap of what we needed from our mothers. That's from Bethany Webster. (sighs) Heavy, isn't it? My immediate advice is that once you understand what has been going on, get help. There will be great grief and a great feeling of loss. One of the realities is that the future won't be what you thought it would be. And that often means a lot of broken dreams. Process this with the therapist. Take as long as you, you feel like you should take. It's not an easy experience. Learn how to reparent and soothe yourself. It will empower you and reduce the dependencies you have on others to play this role, except for when it's trusted people. Most importantly, after the grief is gratitude for the person, for the friendship, and what it meant to you, the good times and the laughter. Alex L., one of my favorite modern writers on healing, posted that the hard truth is that We sometimes have to walk away from people we love. The movies and the soaps never told us this, but it's true. And as somebody who's been on both ends of this, after the grief, the truth is, I want the best for them. I want them to thrive, to grow, to be happy, to find love and live well. Understanding what you need now. You no longer need to be in places where you have to choose between being loved and being celebrated. You can have both. You can understand what values are important to you. I know for myself 
the spiritual aspect and its importance to me is very high. I know I also inadvertently hurt others by not acknowledging this truth in myself. You can figure out, again, what's important to you in friendships and respect people, but take time before you forge deep friendships because you understand yourself better now. Understand that someone else's failure to treat you honorably has nothing to do with your worth. It's also okay to let people have their own narratives and explanations, whether true or not. It's also okay to be incompatible with people as friends. Doing things with others out of obligation isn't honest, and it's okay to step away from that. It's okay to let people go on their own journeys and make their own realizations about life and the lessons that they will learn on that. Seasons of friendships. The truth is, not all friendships last our entire lifetime, especially in our current world. I've come to accept that there are a few covenant relationships and others which are for a season. The season might be through workplace, school, social circles, but life and circumstances can make friendships end. I find it interesting that even though we don't talk about it, the Bible as well has examples of friendships ending, sometimes because of seasons. Um, Psalms 88:19. David's talking about his experience and he says, you have made friends and companions shun me. The people I know are hidden from me. Another verse on the, which is on the reality of both toxic and authentic friendships This is a good one to read in different translations. Some quote-unquote friends pretend to be friends, but a true friend sticks closer than a brother in Proverbs 18.24. The NLT edition says there are quote-unquote friends who destroy each other, but a true friend sticks closer than a brother. I haven't even covered the angle of deep betrayal by friends, and this is something that I know is a reality to so many. If you do want me to cover this, you can shoot me an email or answer the form at the end and you can let me know and I will find material on this to share. My final encouragement to you is that it may feel impossible, but it isn't. It's step by step and at the right time. The thing about healing is that not all the realizations hit you at once and each step strengthens you for the next. It's closing doors to certain perpetual pains we have carried and not letting ourselves use others or for others to use us because of these wounds. Some friendships come full circle and you end up coming back together after time has passed and you're both in healthier spaces. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but there's enough love to appreciate and celebrate each other from afar. Some friendships end and I pray that whatever it ends, ends up being, I pray that you may have the grace to walk, walk this journey. Thank you for listening. This is the end of the episode. And I hope that as heavy as it's been, that it offers you some light and direction for things that you're going through, or maybe didn't even know that you're going through. So you can follow us on Instagram, healing.growth. And on Facebook, Healing Growth. This is Saiton Riga and bye-bye.